Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Last week, we ended the story where God made a covenant with Abram, and because um, Abram's saying, look, God, I can't see this happening. Uh, why don't you actually choose a servant in my house, and he can be the one that receives the blessing of your inheritance? And God said, no, Abram, through you, through your seed, uh, will come the promised redemption. And so, this is where we are. He's, he is experiencing blessing Abram is experiencing financial blessing in the way in which the patriarchs would have in those times. He's experiencing blessing in the, in the context that he has a, a lot of herds, a lot of um, servants. And actually, this is where Hagar um, is introduced. Hagar is a slave of Sarai, and she was probably given to her when Sarai was in Pharaoh's house. So let's read Genesis 16, verses 1 to 16. I'm reading through the CSB. Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife, took, so Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had been in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar. She became pregnant, and when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man shall be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roi, she said. In this place, I have actually seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well is called Beer Lahai Roy. It's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abraham's son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you not only that you have revealed yourself and your purposes, your nature and your character through it, but you have preserved it for us. Thank you that we can faithfully rely on the truth of your word. And Spirit of God, I pray um, that as we listen, that your spirit would be present and active in our souls. Um, that if we need to repent, we would have the grace to do that. If we need to realign, if we need to be reminded of your faithfulness. God, we pray that you would make us active hearers, and I pray that you would empower me 
to faithfully preach your word. Amen. Last week, we, we spoke about the idea of family patterns um, and how fa- family patterns seem to recur consistently throughout generations. And uh, even though we've named the series like Father, Like Son, we, we talked about the fact that this is not a, a gender kind of um, restricted series. We see right now how this is like mother, like daughter. We see in Genesis 3 verse 6, the woman who is Eve say to Adam that the tree was good and delightful to eat. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her. Now look at verse 3 in chapter 16 of Genesis. So Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. There's this same pattern that we see of someone seeing something that they see as good, seeing something that they see would be beneficial, something that they see would be practical, and actually giving it to the husband, and the husband just accepting it without inquiring of the Lord, without checking to see this is what God wants, and creating a bigger problem. Last week, we spoke about the kinds of things that we do when we are overwhelmed. I guess I don't need this. Uh, The kinds of things that we do when we're overwhelmed and we tend to act impatiently and and we tend to act impulsively. Um, And so I I think I want to ground this in some realities. It had been 10 years since God had made that promise to Abram. 10 years is a long time. Even if you are 127, 10 years is still a long time. When you're 20, 10 years is half your life. When you're 127, I guess it's a twelfth of your life. But in reality, 10 years is a long time to wait for this promise. This solution that Sarai comes up with, it sounds ridiculous to us. Uh, it, it would be the same as if, as if um, Karen was struggling with falling pregnant and then her getting someone that cleans my house and giving her to me so that I could have a child and we could continue our family line. But you've got to understand that in those days, this was a practical solution. It was a well-known solution. It wasn't a solution that anyone looked down on. And if you were to look at it within the context um, of those days, no one would have batted their eyelid at that kind of solution. The problem is there was no inquiring of God. And it's something that happens to us consistently, is that when we get impulsive and impatient and we try to solve a situation on our own, we actually begin to snowball that situation. And we create problems for other people and for ourselves. So how do we deal with the idea of of pain and delay and disappointment? The first thing we see in the Scripture is we look for someone to blame. We always look for someone to blame. Now, we look for someone to blame on, on the big scale in the sense of what, what, did, uh, what did Sarai say? The Lord has prevented me. So she makes this decision and she says, I know who I'm going to blame. I'm going to blame God because God is the one that has pre- prevented me from having children. She blames him. The problem with that is that we know in our context, and this happens all the time, and especially if you're a seeker or a skeptic, God gets all of the blame and none of the credit. So on a macro scale, God gets all the blame for the injustice and the poverty and the wildfires in Australia and and all of those things. And on the micro scale, God also gets the blame. God, why am I still in this job? God, why am I still unmarried? God, why do I not have children? God, why am I still battling with this? This has to be your fault. 
But we never, we never sit there and, in a sense, discipline ourselves in the same way to say, God, you've been so kind to me. You've been so kind to me in the people that you've given me. You've been so kind to me in the, in the healings that I've received, both physical and spiritual and emotional. And he gets all of the blame, but none of the credit. But we also like to blame others. Let's be honest. He slept with Hagar. She became pregnant. And when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. So she can't make up her mind. First, it's God that's responsible. And that doesn't seem to be working. Now, Abram is responsible for her suffering. You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. And so she calls down the Lord to judge between Abram and Sarai, the same Lord that she never asked in the first place whether this would be a good idea. And we do very, very similar things. We decide to do things our way, and then when they don't work out the way that we want them to work out, we blame God. And God's like, not my fault. I wasn't in this. You didn't ask me. I would have told you it was a bad idea. We even do things that we know. God has said this is a bad idea. And then still blame him and other people for the situation that we're in. Now, what is Sarai blaming Abram for? Now, it could be for the fact that she's in this situation. It could also be that Abram was supposed to protect her from Hagar because Hagar began to rub her nose into the fact that she was pregnant and she wasn't. Either way, the reality is she was not protected. But what she doesn't recognize in this, and this is something we don't recognize either, is that when we are fixated on blaming God and blaming others, we take the energy away from the reality of the fact that there is a sense of complicity that we have in this decision. She is where she is because she gave her maid to Abram. It was her idea to do this. And now she's blaming God and she's blaming Abram. So when we're in a situation where we're stuck and we are playing the blame game, what it does is it sucks energy away from actually saying, God, what are you trying to teach me about the way I make decisions and some of the stupid things I've done? Rather, what we focus on is whose fault is this? You know, this again is a pattern that we see in Genesis. In Genesis, when Eve reached out for the fruits and God said and said, hey, what's going on here? What happened? Adam said, it was the woman you gave me. Blame her. It was the woman who gave me the fruit. So God goes to the woman and said, hey, what happened? What did she say? It was the snake. It was the snake that you gave me. And he couldn't go any further. So there's, there's this consistent family pattern of needing to and wanting to blame others. I'm, I'm terrible at this. I am an excellent blame game person. And, and Karn is stuck, especially when we're driving. So when we're driving, there's a sense, in, so Karen will say, you've got to turn right here. And I'm like, I know I need to turn right here. Don't freak me out. I know and that I need to turn right here. And so she's stuck. Or if she doesn't say you need to turn right here, and then I carry on going straight, what do you think happens? Why didn't you tell me I had to turn right here? You see me going straight through the thing, and she's stuck. And so we, we play this, play, and then so Karen gets in the car, and then she puts on Google. And she's like, recalculating. You need to go this way. So now Karen is out of the blame game. So she's like, if you've got to blame someone, you've got to blame the woman on the Google, um, on the Google map thing. 
The second thing we do is we want to inflict pain on others. This is an oldie but goodie, hurt people hurt people. And so what happens is we, we need to understand that this idea of wanting someone to pay is something that happens to every one of us. We believe somehow that the perpetrator's pain will make my pain more tolerable. Now this, I want you to understand this, Sarai was mistreated. And she had a lot of reasons to be angry and upset. She was not protected by her husband. Remember last week? Her husband gave her to Pharaoh. She lived in another man's house. She comes back, and now she's not having a child. She feels this enormous pressure, and so she tries to um, solve the problem by a decision that she makes, and now the slave girl is rubbing her nose in it, and Abraham's not protecting her. She's mistreated. She's hurt. She's in pain, and so what she does is she lashes out. She begins to mistreat and abuse Hagar. This is the same word that is used for the mistreatment of the Israelites under the hand of Pharaoh. This is often an automatic pattern that we have received from the way in which we've seen our parents behave. Not only our first parents, but our physical parents as well. Sir Francis Bacon says, A man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green. A man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green. It means that the person that is focused on payback is not focused on the reality that there is a healing that can come to this person. Another friend of mine said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. There's the sense in which we really, we want to inflict pain on someone else. Now, this is a very, very difficult thing. And especially when the pain that you have received is real, it's not imagined, there isn't this kind of 50-50, it's a very difficult thing to offer forgiveness to someone else. But that is part of what we have grown up with, with our new inheritance and our new family line, is because of the forgiveness that we have been offered, there is a sense in which God is calling us to exercise that same forgiveness. When we focus on payback, and when we focus on inflicting pain on others. And now, now, we may not be the ones that actually inflict pain. We may just be the ones that rub our hands together when someone is experiencing pain, especially if they've been hurt. And that is one of those things. I remember coming home from work one day, and I was saying to Karen, man, I thought I'd forgiven that person. And she's like, I thought you'd forgiven them too. And I said, no, because I heard some really bad news about them, and I was glad. And, and God revealed to me in that moment, man, you are still wanting that person to pay. And I've paid for that. And I've paid for all the things that you've done. And you have no right to want them to experience that kind of pain. The third thing that we do is that we abdicate. We ignore or we avoid. Now look, first Abraham or Abram gives in, and now he gives up. So he gives in. He's like, okay, I'll take this woman to bed. Sounds like a good idea to me. Um, and now he's like, she's your slave. You do whatever it is that you want. He backs out of any responsibility that he has, and he compounds the problem. And this is what I want to say, it, it, not just to men, but to women as well. 
If you know you've made a mistake, don't compound it by just abdicating and saying, well, that was bad, but like, okay, it is what it is. There was something that Abram could have done in this situation. And we are often in situations where we know that we've made a mistake or we've walked into something or we've made a decision and we feel like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Think about this. Abram's not in a good position, okay? His wife told him to take her slave and sleep with her so that she could become pregnant. So he did. And now this has caused a whole lot of problems. And he's in between two angry women. How many of you want to be in that situation? How many of you know that that is a difficult situation? And throwing your hands up and avoiding it is one of the things that we generally tend to do. I come from a Greek household. And um, we have some very patriarchal, um, I don't know, how do you say that, babe? Like ways of doing things. And so when Karen was pregnant with Kiona, heavily pregnant with Kiona, we had finished lunch. Well, I'm only saying that because it was hot. She was super uncomfortable, and that's why I'm saying that. We got it? Okay. <laughs> or very pregnant. I don't know how else to say it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. It's her body, you know. She wanted to get pregnant. <laughs> but um, we finished lunch, and, and this was one of the things. This is how the Greek household works, is, is the men would get up, and they would go and sit down in the, uh, in the other room, and they would talk politics, and they would have coffee, and they would have dried figs and olives and those kinds of things. And, and the women would, would pack up, and they would wash the dishes. So I get up, and I go into the kitchen. Yeah, believe it or not, I did go into the kitchen. And my mom said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I'm going to go help with, uh, with the dishes. She's like, no, you're not. You go into the lounge with the men. And so I start to walk into the lounge with the men. And then Karen says, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm going to sit into the lounge with the men. She says, no, you're not. You're going to help me with the dishes. So I, I walk to the kitchen <laughs> to help with the dishes. And my grandma says, what are you doing here? And I said, can we not play this game again? Please, can someone help me? Please. I understand how Abraham must have thought, I don't know what to do here. Someone is going to be upset. Both of them are angry. And so what I'm going to do is like, you know what? You guys work this out. I'm going to go sit in the dining room. I could have done that, right? I'm like, I'm not going to sit in the lounge. I'm not going to be in the kitchen. I'm going to sit in the dining room. And when situations get really tensed up, especially when we're relationally engaged, the, um, the desire to just want to check out is there, but you cannot. Let me say this. Enneagram 9s, those of you that are out there, okay? There is a difference, and you don't need to be Enneagram 9. There's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is this idea of like, whatever it takes to make the situation okay for me is what we'll do. Peacemaking is very different, and it's actually taking two warring parties together and saying, how do we work this out? And that's not what Abram did, and that's often not what we do. We just throw our hands up in the air, and we refuse to engage, and it snowballs. And we can see that the situation doesn't get better because Abram didn't get involved. It gets worse because he didn't get involved. The fourth thing we do is we just want to escape, just want to run away. How bad must the abuse have been 
for Hagar, a pregnant woman in the middle of the wilderness, to run away. I mean, she was a slave already. She was owned by someone already. She was already someone's property. She was already doing all of the things that you would, um, con- that, that you would expect a slave to do. But this mistreatment is so bad because Abram ignores her in the context of all of this. He ignores Sarah and he ignores Hagar. I am the woman that is carrying your heir and you aren't doing anything about this. His silence is deafening to her, and she doesn't know what else to do. In the context of an abusive situation, wilderness and uncertainty can seem to be very, very attractive. But at the same time, as with Sarai, what Hagar doesn't realize is that she is complicit in part of the mess that she's made. She's not innocent in this. What does Scripture tell us? It tells us that she rubbed Sarah's nose in the fact that she was pregnant and that Sarah wasn't. There is a measure of responsibility that Hagar has here. She, she despised or lauded it over her. That's a difficult thing to do. Now, I am a very competitive person, whether it comes to board games or sports or, or any of those kinds of things. And I don't mind losing as long as people have played according to the rules. This is my worst, though. My worst is when I lose and someone rubs my nose in it. That is, I probably should not have said that. (laughs) Wow, talk about handing over power. I know someone who doesn't like it when other people rub their nose in the fact that they have beaten that person. And so that's part of the challenge that Hagar had here. Understand this. She was pregnant. She didn't know if she was going to have a son or not. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she was rubbing Sarah's nose in this. When we are hurt, abused, or forgotten, we tend to focus on what's been done to us rather on the role that we've played to get into this situation. Now, I'm not saying that what was done to her was fine. It clearly was not, because the angel visits her and ministers to her. But one of the things that we need to recognize in the context of our lives is when we are hurt and abused and things happen like that, to actually slow down and think, have I played a role in this? Is there any area in which my family patterns have affected this and I need to change the way that I'm responding? What's also a little offensive to me is that the angel doesn't lay blame on Sarah or apologize to Hagar. The angel of the Lord finds her by a spring in the wilderness, and he says to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai, so he clarifies who you are, you're a slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? He doesn't ask what happened. He doesn't ask, was that fair? Tell me me what happened. He says, where have you come from? Where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. Wow. What he is asking her to do is such an incredibly difficult thing. Now, let me be very clear on this. This is not about staying in an abusive relationship if you're in an abusive relationship. There are times where you need to leave for your safety, the safety of your children. In fact, I have As a young pastor, 
had to go and fetch a wife from a house because she was in an abusive situation. So we've done that. There's, this is not saying, no, this is, you stay where you are and you, and you just suck it up. This is not about that. God's instruction to go back through the angel is not nonsensical. There's some kind of practical reality here that we've got to understand. It's the best opportunity she has for survival and for the survival of her son. The best opportunity she has is to go back. Otherwise, she dies and Ishmael dies. Now, there are times where we just want to run away. And it's critical for us in those times to seek out wisdom and counsel from our leaders and from God. See, wisdom and counsel from our peers is beneficial, but most of the time, wisdom and counsel from our peers is not going to ask the question, hey, God, did you do something? Because I can't imagine that they would just kick you out for no reason. And so that's why when we're in situations where we're wondering, should I stay in this terrible situation? Should I go back to the situation or should I leave? We need to go ask God for wisdom. It's critical because one of the most um, impactful things in our lives and for the lives of our children is this decision. Should I go or should I remain here? And this could be in the context of your job. This could be in the context of a relationship, a marriage. This could even be in the context of a city. Should I go or should I stay? Maybe there's some of us that are like Hagar, that are sitting at that spring in the wilderness, wondering what on earth we're going to do. And we're feeling hurt, and we're feeling abused, and we're saying, I didn't ask to be put in this situation. I didn't have a choice to actually go and become a surrogate mother. I didn't have a choice. I was a slave. And now this is where I'm at. You may be in the situation with your job. You may be in the situation even in your marriage. You may be in the situation in a relationship that you've had or are having. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, what is God asking you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? Where did you come from? Where are you going? It's never too late. The joy for me in all of this is that God hears and sees and acts. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and there will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived, and you will have a son, and you will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard the cry of your affliction. And Ishmael means God hears, or may God hear. And here she, she is alone, and God appears to her and says, I see you, and I hear you. What a comforting, comforting sentence. I see you and I hear you. And which one of us, when we're not in pain, whether we have contributed to that pain or not, don't want someone to come and say, I see you and I hear you. I can see what's happened and I can hear your pain. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because as comforting as it is for someone to say, I see you, and I hear you, Jesus acts on our behalf and has acted on our behalf. The amazing thing here is that she names God. She is the first person to name God in the Old Testament. In other words, she says, I will. Um, so she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roi. For she said, In this place, I have seen the one who sees me. 
And so in that moment, this faithless Egyptian slave girl that has um, made fun of the matriarch of our faith is pursued by God and sees God in that moment. And the real issue here is not uh, whether did she actually physically see God because we know that Moses didn't and God wouldn't allow him. The issue is that this, she names him based on her experience of what she has received through him, the one who sees me. God is the one who sees us. God is the one who hears our cry. And God is the one who acts. The problem is that we want the person that sees and hears us to agree with us. So as much as we have these friendships and they create a lot of joy for us, one of the things that really tests a friendship is if I say to you, Nicole, I see you, I hear you, I don't agree with your course of action. This is not what's best for you. This is difficult. Go back to Sarah. Submit to her. What we want is we want someone to say, I see you, I hear you, I agree with you. And God's love is so profound that he says, I see you, I hear you, I don't agree with you, but I will make a way. I will make a way. Our hope is greater than survival. Ishmael and Hagar, well, Hagar returns pregnant uh, to Abraham and Sarah and returned to a very uncertain future. Basically, what she's returned to is, is survival. And guess what? She doesn't return as Abraham's wife. She returns as a slave. And so her return is as a slave with a tail between her legs. But for us, God says, that's not how you will return. You won't be rescued from being a slave into being another slave. I will rescue you from being a slave into a son and daughter of the living God. Amazing thing is that God looks for us. Just like this angel looked and, and found her, God looks for us. And he doesn't look for us in the way that I look for my keys. Where on earth did I put my keys? Who took my keys? Someone has to blame for this, and it's not me because I'm not losing my mind, and I'm not that old yet, and I left these keys here. And Corinne says, these keys? I'm like, when did you move them? God is not looking for us irritated. God is not looking for us. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you go to meet a friend at a concert um, or at a game, and they're the ones that have the tickets. And they say, I'm going to meet you there. And you go there, and you're like, where are you? All right, you said you would meet here. You know, it's now 1045, and you said we'd be here. And I couldn't even get into the, the thing without the ticket. And I told you that this would happen. Not that I've had that experience at all, ever, in my life. God doesn't look for us frustratedly. God doesn't look for us with irritation. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says that God longs to be with us. Therefore, the Lord is waiting or longs to show you mercy. The Lord is waiting or longs to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who patiently wait for Him are happy. I remember a situation where we were doing some marriage counseling and... Um, 
and things were getting real intense. And even in the context of marriage counseling, we obviously we want people to be uh, um, to be honest. Um, and then this one particular person was being a little too honest and aggressive. And I remember I was sitting down, and all it took was me standing up. Um, and I wasn't doing it in an aggressive way. I needed to do something because things were getting out of hand. And it says that God is rising up to show you compassion. And as I stood up in that moment, I looked at her, and she felt protected in that moment. I didn't need to do anything else. And then I sat down again, and things calmed down. And God is rising up to show us compassion. He's not just sitting there waiting for us to find our way back home. He's looking for us. We run away as slaves, but we are pursued as children, never to be expelled regardless of what we do. The sad part of the story is, is that in Genesis 21, that Hagar and Ishmael are actually expelled. This uncertain future ends with them being outside of the story. That is not our story. We will never be expelled from the family of God. Never, because we are not just the seed of Abraham, but we're the seed of Christ. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So what? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Dad. You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Why can we return with confidence? Because when we look for someone to blame, we see Jesus Christ on the cross who took all the blame for us. When we look for someone to afflict, we see Jesus Christ on the cross that was afflicted for our sake. When we want to lash out and make someone pay, when we want to abdicate, we see the words of Jesus that I am with you, never to leave you or forsake you. When we want to run away, we experience a God that pursues us because His Spirit lives in us. The Psalms tell us, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the depth of hell, you are there. If I go to the heights of heaven, you are there. I cannot escape you. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy, not shall just follow me, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Band, you can come up. For a lot of us, we are the true children of Abraham in the sense that we have responded to Jesus' invitation. And the covenant to us is that if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. That's what Jesus said. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. But this morning, you may be stuck. You may be stuck in this blame game. You may be in a situation, you may know Jesus, but you may be stuck in the situation of like, if this person hadn't done that, if this situation hadn't been like this, then I would be in a different place. We're looking to blame God or to blame others. You may be in a place where you're still angry and you want someone to pay. And it may not be that you want to physically hurt them or you want to harm them, but you're like, man, I want that person to pay for what they did to me. You may be in a place where you are so wounded that you just want to escape. 
You just want to leave everything. Or maybe you're just numb, like Abraham was. Just numb and ambivalent. I don't care. Do, do what you want to do. You want to do that? Do that. If she's your slave. Do whatever. God is the God that sees and hears. God has seen everything that has happened to you. Even that thing that no one else knows about, God has seen that thing and is inviting you for healing. God has heard and hears the sob of your soul. The 500th time you've asked for forgiveness in an area where you think, God, can I ever be free from this? God hears that sob. God hears, God, why did this happen? There's a, a wonderful scripture in Psalm where it says, He holds our tears in a bottle. He's seen every single time that we've cried out to Him. He's heard every sob of our soul. And He doesn't just see and hear, but He offers us rescue and release, forgiveness and healing. He does all of this because there was a moment when the cosmos heard these words, it is finished. When God the Father heard the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into my hands I commit your spirit. God heard those words which opened the doors of family for us to come in so that God can see, so that God can hear, so that God can heal. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.